And so I would jokingly always just say, well, drive to the middle of nowhere and my house will be 10 miles past that. Hey folks, I am Ryan Goodman and you are listening to the Agriculture Proud podcast. Join the conversation and find all my content at agricultureproud.com. Hey guys, Ryan Goodman here. I've got a fun interview for you today, taking a little bit of a break from over a beer series with Derry Carey. Always go back and listen to some of those for some of the fun. But today I'm talking with Casey Atkinson. She's a friend and a cattle rancher in Wyoming. She has a pretty unique story. She talks about life growing up 10 miles past nowhere, as she puts it, in Wyoming on the ranch and, and how things are done a little bit differently at higher elevation. She also took a little bit of time to go away from the ranch and be able to uh, experience life in urban and suburban America. And she talks about that. And now she, as she's come back to the ranch, she's really invested a lot of time in talking about sustainability and sharing her ranching story. And so we talk a little bit about advocacy and she shares some tips on how she sees that farmers and ranchers today can do a better job of sharing their stories. So hope you follow along and enjoy this story. Uh, let us know what you think. It's 10 miles past nowhere on social media for Casey. And you can always find me at Beef Runner. So I hope you enjoy this story and this conversation that I had with Wyoming rancher Casey Atkinson. We're back here today, and I've got a guest with me, Casey Atkinson from Wyoming. Welcome, Casey. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Good. So while we were together, I wanted to capture a little bit of your story and hear a little bit about your journey and involvement in the beef community as a rancher, but also kind of your involvement in advocacy. So get us kind of started. Can you introduce yourself, and what is your role in the ag community? Absolutely. So my name is Casey Atkinson, and I was raised on a cow-calf operation in southeast Wyoming. Um, That was actually my great-grandfather homesteaded part of our ranch back in 1895 um, and has been there even longer than that. But so been kind of a staple in that part of Wyoming for quite a while. Went to high school in in Wyoming but kind of always knew that I wasn't going to probably be involved in production agriculture. That was kind of going to be my brother's role to come back and, and take on the ranch. But have always had kind of this deep passion for the beef industry and so very fortunate that my my dad had always allowed me to keep some cattle on hand and, and to run some for him. He is a hardcore Angus man so I like to cause him a little bit of heartburn by running a few Charlotte Angus cross cows so he can have some nice white to add some diversity to his view every morning. And you got off the ranch a little bit too right? <laughs> I did yeah. So I spent actually eight years in higher education Uh, down in Texas and so you know had the opportunity to interact with the most diverse set of college kids you can imagine none of them who came from agriculture or had that background and so it was an interesting learning experience you know to be able to have those conversations and and find out what was important to them and what they were passionate about and and kind of help shape and guide them but but build those relationships and then every once in a while I'd get these interesting questions about hey um, you know where's my food come from yeah. And um, it was West Texas A&M University in Canyon, right? It was. Okay. Yes. Go Buffs. There you go. Yeah. So I actually lived there for a little bit when I was working for cactus feeders. And so that's kind of feed yard country, which was probably a little bit different than ranch country in Wyoming. Oh, right? very different. Um, loved living in that part of Texas because it was a whole different education. You know, I've, I've always been fascinated by the beef industry in its entirety. And my little bubble that I came from was very much cow-calf. But going to Texas you know, allowed me to really have some conversations with people in the, the feed 
yard aspect of it. Um, and not only that, but the packing kind of part of it because there, there's a few of those around as well. And so just gave me a really good appreciation and hopefully an understanding of some of the, the processes further down the line that I think have been really valuable to me. And so you come back to the ranch in the last couple of years and one of your kind of taglines is 10 miles past nowhere. So tell us what's, where did that come from? <laughs> so I went to high school in Laramie, which was 85 miles away from my front door on the ranch. And so my classmates and stuff would always be like, hey, you know, where exactly is it that you live? Because even in the same county, they didn't really have any understanding of where my ranch was. And, and so I would jokingly always just say, well, drive to the middle of nowhere and my house will be 10 miles past that. And so it's just something that I think kind of my entire life as I've been explaining to people where I lived, that would always be how I went about explaining it. And so when I kind of wanted to dive into this advocacy world and, and kind of put myself out there, it kind of made sense to be like, oh, 10 miles past nowhere. Although many people have told me that that is not accurate, that it should be more like 40 miles past nowhere. But <laughs> so, what it, so you've lived you know, in town, closer mm -hmm. to town, and then you've got that perspective of being out in rural Wyoming, Very in ranch so. country. Uh, so what are the biggest challenges when you're ranching that far away from town? Oh, gosh. This could be a long conversation. <laughs> um, you know, simple things like if you run out of milk, tough luck. You should have planned better, right? You should have more, have more milk on hand because you're not going to go to the grocery store um, to fix them. You know, paying your bills. I know it's a little different. Most people pay their bills electronically. My dad doesn't know how to turn on a computer. So we still pay bills old fashioned, you know, with a check in the mail, but we get mail twice a week. And so, you know, heaven forbid the company didn't get you the bill on time. If it's due within a day or two, well, it's going to be three days before the mailman comes back to get our mail. When something breaks down, we do things very different in my world. We stack our hay loose in hay cribs. Most people are like, what does that even mean? But we don't bale our hay. We don't put it up probably in what has become the conventional sense. Because our equipment, when it breaks down, we can go rummage around through the sheds and the shop and find the pieces and the parts to put it back together and make it work. Whereas if the baler broke down and I needed this very specific belt to fix it, it's an hour and a half to find a belt. And so I've lost an entire day worth of work to get something fixed. And so that's definitely a challenge. We are very fortunate, even though we're a very small neighborhood, my nearest neighbor 16 miles away. But when you need help, people will pitch in and, and help you out. Your neighbors will because finding help, day worker type people, if you needed some excess help, becomes very complicated when you live in the middle of nowhere where, you know, some of those challenges. So, you know, you, you have to be prepared for things like the fact that winter might come and you might not get to drive your vehicle for five months. And so you're going to be limited to a snowmobile. And, and are you prepared for that? You know, is your snowmobile running in October? Because you might need it till April. And um, just things that probably a lot of people don't have to, to think about and consider. Okay, so you just moved your cows to a lower elevation for the winter? So yes, so we take the heart of the herd. So basically any of our cows that will be four next spring 
to say 10 next spring. And we actually do ship them out to Wheatland, which is about a 3,000 foot drop in elevation, maybe even a little bit more, um, so that we can run them on corn stalks because it is cheaper to pay the bill to have someone else winter them on corn stalks than it would be to try to buy enough hay to feed them where we live. So even though we, we ship the heart of the herd, we still have, I think dad's still got 250 head of animals at home that he has to feed every day between the coming two and three year old heifers that we want to make sure we meet their nutritional needs and so we keep them at home and feed them our replacement calves, our bulls, our horses, and of course the dog. So there you go. <laughs> so not only involved on the ranch today, but you're kind of involved in the industry in a couple other ways and, and capacities. Um, tell us a little bit about your involvement in the industry off the ranch today. I do some freelance journalism work with Working Ranch. And so that affords me the opportunity. He's been very good about if something industry related, an event is coming through close to Wyoming, usually here in Denver, he will send me, which is a great opportunity, not only for me to stay informed and educated, but then to share that with, of course, his readership. I'm here in Denver today attending the working meeting for the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, and that's something that I hope to continue being involved with. I've been involved with the MBA program and the top of the class program, you know, through NCBA that you work with, which has been a really great opportunity for me to, to connect with people and meet fellow advocates and, and ranchers and producers from across the country, which gives you a great network to learn from each other and, and stay connected and involved. So that kind of bridges over into that kind of your advocacy work. And so over the last couple of years, I've kind of watched you've taken a great interest in, in passion and a lot of enthusiasm in sharing your story. What drove you to invest time in advocacy and sharing your ranching story with people outside of Wyoming, people outside of your ranching community? You know, when I was in high school, I knew, right, I had this huge passion for the beef industry, but and really specifically the people in the beef industry. And so it had always been my my dream, my goal, my hope that I was gonna find some fabulous career where I got to try to make their life better and easier and share their story. But social media wasn't a thing. I mean, internet wasn't even really a thing when I was in high school. You know, you drift off and you, you take the career in higher education and you end up in extension and you do all these things. And in extension, I was fortunate enough I could use that platform to do some advocacy work, but you had to be very careful, right? Because you work for an institution of higher education and, and what you can say and what you can't, what you can do and what you can't. But I had seen people out there, you know, advocating for the industry and, and I really wanted to, to do that, but I had a hard time figuring out how do you do that exactly when you don't do it every day? When I ended up coming back to the ranch, I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've talked with people in agriculture enough. You know, that's my life. I don't know any better than to be living in the middle of nowhere in the Klondike. But as I talked to other producers and people, even within the agriculture industry, I started to get a sense that maybe our way of life was unique. And I think every operation has something that's unique about it, but maybe 10 miles past nowhere was even a, a, an extreme unique. Um, and so, you know, I, I found that people, even within agriculture, were interested in my story, which surprised me. And so I thought, well, maybe if my fellow ag people are interested in my story, maybe people out there will be interested as well. And, and you know, because I had worked in higher education and I had met all of these people from urban America, you know, they were always just fascinated with, with pictures and stories that I would I would share and tell because, um, you know, it was just something that was so foreign to them. And so, you know, I thought I had the opportunity to do it. You know, it, it 
doesn't take a whole lot of time. It's easy for me to take a picture and put it on Instagram and, and kind of share what I'm what I'm doing. But I am deeply passionate about our way of life and, and wanting to engage with people who have interest in that and, and want to know more about it and, and, and figure out how to share our story in a way that genuinely connects with people. I don't I don't have any desire to educate people. I don't have any desire to lecture to people. I want to connect with people and bring them into what we do so that they they feel like they understand it, they don't have to be scared about it, and that they have somebody out there that they can trust if, if they have questions um, about what we're doing. Right, I like that you say educate because you know it's, it's great to have the conversations with our peers in ag in those circles, right? We could talk about the weather all day. We could talk about hay, hay season and all calf prices and everything, right. right? But it's it's something else to be able to connect with people outside of agriculture, people in our suburban urban areas of the country that are eating our products eventually, right? Absolutely. So what's a light bulb moment, an aha moment, um, where you, you made a connection with a consumer audience? I, I don't know that I've done this in, in like a large scale audience, but like I said, I have some very, very dear friends that live in urban America um, and I like to travel and I love people who invite me to their house in the winter time to get me away from the Klondike. Um, I have some very dear friends who are very good about saying, hey, um, I know it's January, so why don't you come visit me in Texas for a couple of weeks where you can warm up. A super dear friend, she and I have been friends for, you know, 20 some years we met in college and she lives in, in Dallas, as urban as it gets. And so we, we were making supper and you know she pulled out her package of grass finished beef. Because I have a relationship with her and because we're friends, you know, that opens the door for me to say, okay, I'm just curious, what led to this purchasing decision? And and as we started having the conversation, she was like, well, I, I feel like it's better nutritionally. And so I was able to say, well, okay, can I, can I show you this, this graphic that I just happen to have stored in my photos that will show you that the nutritional difference of beef? And, and we were able to talk through, you know, yes, it's a tick better here. And yes, grain finished beef is a tick better here, but it's a wash. Beef is beef, right? No matter what you feed a cow, beef is beef. And she was like, oh. And she's like, well, but surely it's better for the environment, right? You know, she wanted to feel better about that. And so we were able to have this whole conversation about the environmental differences. And again, how it becomes... In my mind, it becomes a wash, right? Because grass-finished beef, you're going to sequester more carbon in the soil over time, but, but grain-finished beef is a system that emits less greenhouse gas emissions into the air. And so she's like, so I'm confused. How do I, how do I go to the grocery store and, and buy beef? And I said, well, in my mind, it's, it's very simple. What tastes best to you? And go buy the product that you enjoy. Go to the grocery store and buy what tastes good and you're going to enjoy and have satisfaction in that meal. And I, I think hopefully it relieved a bunch of stress for her and a bunch of, of guilt because there is so much misinformation that's floating around out there. But I mean, at the end of the day, I just, I want you to be excited and happy about putting beef on your plate and not have the stress and not have the guilt um, that comes with the burden of all the misinformation. That's a good example. You know, being able to have a conversation with a friend because I, I picture it just like somewhere having these and you have that conversation if she had that concern about should I buy this type of beef how many other people have that question right. I think that's the power of social media is that we can't have that face-to-face -face conversation with everyone but social media allows us to have that conversation digitally Absolutely. across the globe Absolutely. so it would grass finished versus grain finished beef 
kind of be the hot button topic or is there something else that, you know, if you had the magic wand and you could wave, <laughs> what myth would you address about agriculture today? Oh my gosh, Ryan, there are so many. You know, I, I think because of the conversation about cattle being detrimental to the environment, I think that would probably be the one that I would wave because I think it it eliminates so many things. I mean, the conversation about sustainability and environmental friendliness, I, I they're kind of all one one conversation. And so, if we could fix that conversation, I think a lot of the rest of it gets easier. Maybe I don't know. It all begins at the start, right? Yeah. The cow calf. So obviously, sustainability is really important to you. Yes. What do you want consumers <clears throat> to know about sustainability raising cattle? You know, I I think there's such a different perspective because I think if you ask the average rancher, right, are you sustainable? They measure sustainability in terms of generations spent on one ranch. And in so many ways that encompasses everything that sustainability is, right? You were only able to stay five generations on your ranch because you have been doing the things that are sustainable. Um, But they don't necessarily think about the little things like, oh, I put in a new pipeline so that my cattle could better graze this pasture because they'd have access to water. That's a step towards me becoming more sustainable. I don't think they think about it in those terms because I know I didn't think about it in those terms. I know we've had this conversation before that but sometimes it's the little things. And so, you know, I think there's such a great a great story to, to share. And, and I hope consumers or customers, people eating beef, people in urban America, people, our fellow producers understand that that we're always taking these small steps towards improving our land, you know, figuring out how to better utilize our, our water resources, figuring out how to improve the genetics in our herd so that we're, we're producing a better product at the end, you know, figuring out how to manage better for wildlife, you know, to make sure that we can balance, at least in my part of the world, you know, the massive elk herd that comes and lives on my meadow all summer long, along with my cattle um, and that that's important to us right we enjoy having wildlife animals around and it's just it's part of our diversity and and so you know while we may not always think about the right ways to phrase it maybe in a way that translates that that we are working on those things because I haven't met anybody who isn't hoping that there's another generation coming behind them to leave it to um, and that isn't motivated by hoping that they have left something in better shape than they got it so that they can set up that next generation to be successful and that they've passed along the wisdom and the lessons that hopefully that generation will take the same approach that their job is to leave that land and that operation in a little bit better shape for the next. Yeah, you mentioned the wildlife and the elk. I mean, I keep going, my mind's stuck on that image <laughs> because when, I, so I grew up in Arkansas, Mississippi River Delta, we have catfish, mm. <laughs> right? And the only public lands that I knew of were core lands around like maintaining the levees or the lakes with dams that generate the electricity. And so when I moved out to Wyoming, uh, ranched in the Bighorns and moved up to Montana, that's when I discovered, oh, there's public land out here. <laughs> and then the really working with a lot of ranchers in Montana had to recognize that like you're out there and you're you want to live with the wildlife like you don't really have an option (laughs) it's yeah it's not really a choice right and and so like what i found fascinating is like so elk populations are out of control in much of the northern rockies for Um, sure just the elk themselves they're they're huge populations but what what i found was funny is like rancher said okay well we'll set we'll set aside this portion of the allotment this ground for elk grazing but the elk didn't really touch that they first (laughs) went and they followed the cattle around 
because they wanted that better, t more tender grass that was following after the rotational grazing through the, through the mountain pastures. It, it, those are the stories that, yeah, I wish we could get out there. So how do we do that? How do we, like, we've been involved, you know, advocacy online, social media for a decade. How do we improve advocacy moving into the 2020s? Oh gosh, Ryan, you need somebody smarter than me to have this <laughs> conversation with. No, I think you're doing a good job <laughs> of like telling your story. And I think that you've done a really good job of like, hey, you're ranching. And you're out there telling your stories. And so like, what should ranchers do to better to better reach those people that you've interacted with living in those urban areas or traveling all over the place? You know, I guess it's hard because I feel like for me, like, right, it was my life choices yeah. that led me to be in those those situations to to build those relationships and to meet those people. And and you know, I mean, you know me, I would love the opportunity to go to Dallas and, and get to be immersed in, you know, urban America and have a conversation and talk to people on the street and be like, hey, you know, what questions do you have about where your beef comes from? Because I would love to talk to you. What do you want to know? You know, I'm, I'm an open book. And, you know, it's, it's hard because I feel like there are people like me who are super passionate and we want to have those conversations and we want to talk to those people. And I feel like there's a huge amount of people out there who are like, we would love to interact with and talk to a farmer or a rancher and, and get our questions answered by somebody that, you know, I, I still think there's a fair amount of trust for us at the ground level, right? As, as farmers and ranchers that people still somewhat trust us just inherently. But I, I don't know why we can't figure out how to connect those two groups of people together. And that's something that I ponder ponder all the time. You know, I'm, I'm constantly handing out my card and um, I'm an introvert which you can appreciate because I think you are as well. And so it's not really natural to me to be on a plane and want to talk to the person next to me. But I have forced myself to do those things, right? You know, so I can meet people and be like, hey, well, here's my card. You know, if you if you ever have questions or you ever have an opportunity where you're looking for somebody who, you know, might be able to interact with a group you're associated with, you know, I, I would love to come. And I don't know, Ryan, I don't have a good answer. But I think you do because, you know, I think social media is obviously a vital, important part of all of that right we we can't be everywhere but we can reach people through that but i think it's an important component of like maybe a hot take that farmers or ranchers need to get off the farm or the ranch and go ha seek out those opportunities to connect with those consumers for that face-to-face -face, which complements then you've connected then then they can go and connect online with you or other people as well in our community so i think it takes both right so no i think that that's still a good answer Okay. For sure. So, <laughs> that being said, what advice would you have for other other farmers, other ranchers, people involved in agriculture advocacy? What advice for you, would you have for them that are looking to up their game okay. to get more involved? I think it takes us all, right? There are so few of us that it, it takes us all, but I'm a firm believer in there are so many ways we can do this, right? You can do social media, you could go to your grocery store and offer to cook up some beef and give away some free samples for the meat counter. You could go speak to your Rotary Club. You could, you know, talk to your local radio station, see if you could have a little quick radio spot. You could write an article for your local paper. I mean, I just, I think you could invite school kids from neighboring schools out to tour, you know, your farmer ranch. I think there are so many avenues and I'm weird. I love talking in public. You know, I, I have no qualms about standing up in front of a group of people and, and talking. Most people don't feel that way, right? And so I think it's it's important to find what works for you, you know, and, and you don't, if you go the social media route, you don't have to be on every platform there is. 
I despise Twitter, Ryan, still. I know you want me to love it, but I don't. But Instagram is is my, my comfort spot. It's my sweet spot. I can share the pictures of this crazy life that I live and sometimes some information and sometimes not and reach people from all over the world. You know, just figure out the right hashtags to use and I'll probably reach somebody today that I didn't reach yesterday. Whether they follow me or not, it's a one-time positive impact, I figure. Um, and so I think it's it's finding what's comfortable for you, but but knowing that you need to get in the game. Somehow, we need your help. You know, we need you to, to help share the story and, and be more open. I think it's it's hard not to be defensive, right? When you are feeling like our industry is constantly being attacked, it's hard not to be defensive. But you have to figure out how to shut that out and understand that the heart of most people is they just want to know and they just want to connect and they just want to understand. And so if you can tune all that defensiveness out, you can tune out this desire to educate them um, and throw facts and statistics at them and just sit down and have a conversation with them and make them feel heard and listen to what they're really curious about and then providing them the answers to those questions that they're asking. Um, I think we get a lot further. And so I, I think my best advice to advocates is listen first, talk second, because we need to hear our consumers. And and that's a, a frustration that I have with the beef industry is we're very wrapped up in our own agenda, right? Our own little box that we're standing on and what we think people should care about and what we want to rally for and fight for. And it it is completely disconnected from what I feel like the people who are buying our product are telling us is important to them. And I would rather have those conversations because that's what's going to keep beef on their plate, not me trying to force an agenda down their throat. So So. maybe a good form of advocacy is instead of asking consumers to learn about, say you need to learn about farming and ranching, how food is grown, take a little bit of time to learn about our customer and their wants and needs. Absolutely. I mean, we can all find a connection point. I mean, there are other crazy runner people in the world that you can connect with. There are other people in the world who love to travel as much as I do. You know, we, we have things in common to build bonds and, and conversations. It's it's not an us versus them. We're, we're all in this together, I think. Yep, I like that. Let's wrap up on that. Okay. So where Perfect. can we find you online? At 10 miles past nowhere, generally. Uh, the, the actual number 10, don't spell out 10, but at 10 miles past nowhere um, is my Facebook and my Instagram. Twitter, I think, didn't allow me that many letters. And so it's just at 10 miles past, okay. I think, on Twitter. Right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Casey. Enjoyed the story. And uh, I hope others, I think, I know others will as well. And I hope that they reach out, ask you more questions. Well, thanks, Ryan. So, thank you. <laughs> Hey guys, just real quick, hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Casey Atkinson, Wyoming rancher, as 10 miles past nowhere. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you thought of the conversation. So please reach out to us on social media. I'm Beef Runner and be sure to subscribe and share the podcast. It sure helps us out.